3: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation and around the world. This is Tim May with the Tim May Podcast. I'm trying to sound a little bit
1: somber. Uh, how am I doing there, co-pilot Austin Ward? That's uh, That was a fitting tone for the way this show is going to go. You know, even though I like to look at, look at my
3: podcast as being all about college football, not just Ohio State football, let's face it, most of the people listening to this podcast are very interested in Ohio State football, have a vested interest in, in many of them. And I want to come out to those folks and everybody who listened to me on the radio and TV and even maybe read a couple of things I wrote this past week uh, about the Ohio State-Michigan game, about the Ohio State running game being underrated going into this game and being a big difference is going to be a big difference. And the Ohio State ability to stop the run going into this game and that that was going to show up to be a big difference. I want to admit right now I was wrong, <laughs> wrong wrong. And yeah, those letters, I got the block O in the middle, but those letters are in blue. And uh, if you couldn't see that and you're listening on one of the many platforms that this podcast uh, shows up on, I had W-R-O-N-G spelled out in blue letters with the middle O being block O, which wasn't a lot of block O going on. Uh, Austin, am I being too harsh as we jump into this podcast?
1: I wish I'd been prepared with some props as well. That was a good one Um, and fitting because I was also very wide of the mark and uh, I've been a popular target on uh, the Michigan on three site over the last week or so. And there are a lot of people um, that follow us regularly at Letterman Rowe who are also upset about the way that I have evaluated things this season. And Hey, um, I'm not always going to be right, and I don't pretend to be. Uh, I still think if you put these teams on paper, you would always pick the one wearing scarlet and gray uh, as the one you would want to bet on going into that game. But they they didn't deliver, and that team that you wrote, uh, the reason you used that shade of blue, they deserved to win on Saturday. Um, there's no other there's no other way to say it. They played better in that game. They were more physical. Uh, they answered the toughness. I know the cliche is that you want it more. Ohio State always wants to win the game. I don't. I wouldn't say that Michigan wanted it more. They just prepared and delivered when it arrived much better. And there's nothing you can do except, uh, you know, admit if you're wrong or tip your hat if you lose, whatever the situation is for uh, the people covering it or the people that played in it. And it's going to be really painful for them. And it's going to start that process now immediately for Ohio State to figure out how to fix it. And by the
3: way, to help put this game in perspective, too, the aftermath and then what, what's coming forward, I've got a couple of former Ohio State Buckeyes who've been on this podcast before, including one last week, Matt Wilhelm, who also was wrong <laughs> about what, what he saw coming, former linebacker, former national championship linebacker and NFL uh, player, and, uh, and then Marlon Kerner, who we talked after the after the Oregon game on what was wrong and what needed to be fixed defensively. It looked like Ohio State got some things fixed especially in the run defense as the game, as the year went on, boy, you know, but boy, did it show up in a big way that, you know, no, you can still get shoved out of the way and teams can score and can gain yards running the ball and score. And then I had Bill Bender just kind of set the sort of the national picture of uh, what this loss does to Ohio State, what the win does for Michigan. He doesn't think it really changes a whole lot one way or the other, but I'll let him tell you in his own words, but Austin Ward, you know, Got to have you on, man, because, uh, number one, you're my co-pilot. You know, when I lose it, you know, you're there to fly the plane back in the proper way. And uh, uh, let me ask you this just right off the bat. You know, everybody knows what happened on Saturday. Ohio State got shoved out of the way by Michigan. (laughs) That's the bottom line. Uh, The big changes come on this uh, coaching staff, do you think? We'll get into it more at the end of this thing.
1: But uh, just give people a hint. Do you – do you expect some major changes? The level uh, of changes—I don't—I don't—I wouldn't want to put a number on it as we sit here right now. I think that there are going to be significant um, alterations to the staff and the scheme, um, mostly on defense. I think the same um, will be true on the offensive line as well. That um, you know, I have talked, and there's a lot of people who. Question: Greg as a recruiting ability, and my stance on that has always been, that's fine. Once you get the raw material on campus, Greg Studrawa is able to develop those guys in NFL draft picks. But if the other part wasn't meeting what Ohio State wanted, and then you saw what happened to Ohio State's offensive line on Saturday, I think that changes the equation. He's also, you know, relatively, uh, you know, beaten down physically. He had major back surgery to, to use that. That's another major situation. Like, yeah. may decide it, this may have been determined already for Greg Sudrawa that uh, maybe he couldn't hold up physically. I don't know. I I'm saying my expectation is that Greg Studrawa will not return to Ohio State, and that it'll be looking for an offensive line coach. Uh, the length, the amount of changes that may come defensively, I, I would expect a minimum of one, and that number could grow. And the the tricky part of this, and Ryan Day went through that a year ago after the Alabama game is, okay, that that one was even tougher. You're factoring in COVID and roster that was shorthand and all this other stuff, but how much stock are you going to put in one game, which is the most important game, and they were embarrassed and came up short, and how much other progress did you see in the previous 10 games and how much of it was real, how much of it wasn't? Um, And so that decision didn't have to be made on Saturday night or Sunday uh, or Monday but I do think that it will be made in relatively short order because the whole calendar has changed him. And you know, that yep. how difficult, how difficult and different it's become with the early signing period with a coaching carousel that is going absolutely crazy uh, with Lincoln Riley, you know, <laughs> tipping over another major domino on Sunday. Um, and I don't think Ohio state can afford patience in this situation because they lost everything on Saturday, everything. And They to get that fixed, they're not going to, they can't afford to drag their feet on it.
3: Okay. Let's, we'll come back and we'll hash some of that out, man, because that, that, that's really, that's really the most important thing that's going on right now in this, what you said, this crazy coaching carousel that's going on with all these other jobs that still haven't been filled, you know, um, major head college head, major college head coaching jobs. It's crazy. Uh, what could happen in the next month, even to the Ohio State staff? You know, we'll we'll see if anything happens there. But uh, I'm talking about of uh, maybe somebody trying to poach, as opposed to somebody being pushed out. But uh, you know, we'll come back uh, first. You know, let's get to my conversation with Matt Wilhelm. You know, like like me, wanted to you wanted to step in there and you know, in essence, say, boy, I got that wrong. But uh, here's what happened. Here's what you should look for. Here's what went wrong on the field, and how can things be changed? Uh, we'll get to that one, and then we'll move on to a conversation with Marlon Kerner, and then finally my conversation with Bill Bender uh, before we get back to uh, Austin Ward for an extended period, but he will be with me in those interims. Hey, it's been a long time since I had Matt Wilhelm on my podcast, almost a full week. Hey, Matt, welcome back to the Tim <laughs> Podcast, my man.
2: Uh, it's good to be back, and uh Under some unfortunate circumstances, but uh, I think the one great thing about Buckeye Nation and the success that we've been able to enjoy, especially uh, in the game and the rivalry is, you know, we we can't shy away from, you know, what it is when it's good enough, you know, we want to, you know, proclaim how great we are. And when it's not quite good enough, we have to be um, honest with ourselves and uh, have enjoyed, you know, gosh, Almost twenty years of great success, and so to, uh, you know, take a uh, an underhand jab and you know to the to the mouth and and be able to talk about it. So here we are.
3: Yeah. Okay. Well, let's get right down to it. Bottom line is, I said, and when you and I were talking last week, I thought the two the two underrated things about Ohio State was its ability to run the ball, which was being discounted going into this game, and the its improved ability to stop the run. And boy, was I wrong. You know. Yeah. <laughs> At least. In this game, you know, you and I—we talked about it. I even quoted you in my story last week about this being must-see TV. The Ohio State offense, the passing game was still sort of there, but but just let's just go back to my square one here. Yeah. What was just your what was just your uh, impression as things went on of what was going wrong on both sides of the ball when it came to running and stopping the run for Ohio State, and just how st- I don't know if stunned was the right word, but
2: how would you describe your emotion as you were watching it? Sure. Uh, I mean, as a silver bullet linebacker, uh, immense frustration uh, and in, in many different directions. I think uh, the, the lack of physicality uh, by our defensive front, the lack of execution by our defensive front, I think the, uh, the lack of playmaking by our defensive front and so that doesn't just uh you know say anything about just the linebackers i think also you look at the you know the front four or five however you want to look at it it was uh if you go back again only because i I know it because i played in it and i understand the rivalry you look at the linebackers uh and the defensive players and uh the game is in many cases won or lost in the trenches yeah and you look at uh, again, the tackles for losses and the sacks and the forced fumble, even going back to our game in 2002, you know, uh, Kenny Peterson's forced fumble, Will Smith with the fumble recovery, the number of times, again, not to pat myself on the back that, the, that I was making plays on that side of the line. Yeah. And it, and it goes with a firm understanding of what they're going to do and in many cases being there to make that play before they can block you so there's an anticipation and that's kind of like the preparation that i talked about there's just the physicality and the attitude and and i think when you uh when you talk about a silver bullet that's a silver bullet flying through the air ready to pierce something and uh you know going back to when i coach my son and to when i've learned this game it's you know do you want to be the hammer or the nail and i think uh watching that football game. And, and again, I have not watched it again. And that's something that I, you know, whether it be through YouTube or, you know, some other type of access uh, I did not DVR because I wasn't home. Uh, I want to watch it again, but I mean, watching it one time was enough Mm -hmm. and to know that, I mean, five touchdowns to one player and their ability to run the football at will. And I think uh, in a nutshell, it just wasn't good enough across the board. And I think there's a, a, a lot of things that need to get fixed and we'll have some time to do that, you know, not playing the big 10 championship game and going to play in a, a January one bowl game. But I, I think for me, it's uh, it's, it's just frustrating as a fan, as a former player, oh, but on the flip side, I'm not going to be the one that's just going to like, you know, close the book on Ryan day and, and these defensive coaches and these players, we were young on defense and I think even ahead of the Michigan State game, you know, with the Walker kid being in the Heisman, uh, you know, the Heisman race, my biggest concern was our ability to stop the run against Michigan State and our ability to stop the run against Michigan. Yeah. And we did it in one and not in the other. And then on the flip side, I think, uh, and you and I talked about this ahead of, you know, this game was watching Michigan uh, the few times that I did this season, their fronts, on both sides of the football, they're highly impressive. Yeah. and I think it's it's probably, regardless of how many six-year seniors or how many freshmen they're playing, I don't really care, I think it's finally the first time in this rivalry since Jim Harbaugh has taken over that this team really epitomized what they thought they were going to get when they hired him five or six years ago based on his track record at Stanford and what he did in the National Football League. Yeah.
3: You yeah, know, you just – let's just – I'll be, you know, honest, uh, I thought that kind of game, although it could keep you in games, that kind of game, being able to win the big games was gone. You know what I mean? Uh, and just shows, man, you can't – there are some things that are tried and true in football, blocking and tackling, you know. Yep. And yeah. that game, this this past Ohio State-Michigan game was the epitome of what can go wrong when you get dominated in both of those areas. And Yes, I think I think you're exactly right. Uh, let me ask you this: So, do you make change? Do you make any changes, Matt? I mean, if you're if you're large and in charge, if you're Ryan Day looking at it, because you know he's hearing the hue and cry from Ohio State fans as we speak, from former players, etc. You know, uh, when your safety, Bryson Shaw, who made one of the one of the best plays, if not the best play on defense on Saturday, when he comes out and basically says it was embarrassing, you know, the way Michigan was able to run the ball especially in the second half when you thought the yes. second wind was coming and it has come so many times for Ohio state the last seven or eight years in the second half when it didn't come, but do you make, are the schematic changes you're going to make? Is there personnel or two changes you would make in the coaching staff? What sort of fixes, what got you beat in the most important game of
2: your season? Sure. Absolutely. I think uh, the one thing, my, my big takeaway and it has a lot to do with uh, again, that game kind of came and went and it didn't, it didn't ruin my day. You know, uh, are you frustrated? Sure. Uh, Do you send some text messages out to the right people? Uh, You know, disgruntled text messages to kind of, you know, uh, walk through and talk through that game. Sure. But then I think I also then turn on, you know, the, the, the iron bowl and turn on, you know, Bama Auburn. Yeah. And the one thing that popped up in my head after watching that football game and that and at, that, at the juncture I was watching it was 10-6 Auburn, I think 10-6 or 10-3, and then they go to, you know, four overtimes, you know, with the new rules, they go deep in the overtimes. And I and I had a little epiphany and it was a lot to do going back again to the 2002 season that I played in, you know, in that in that rivalry game and the success that we had as a defensive front, you know, uh not just a linebacking core. And I want to go back to um the the run stuffing, not playmaking, inside defensive tackles. yeah. And I think you look at, you know, Hankins and Michael Bennett and some of these guys, they made plays, but they did their job first so that the backers can make all the plays. Yeah. And that's the one thing that I think when you look at, you watch Alabama, um, they have, you know, defensive linemen get drafted in the top 75 picks every year you know, because they keep their backers who also go in the first round almost every year clean to make all those plays. Yep. And so I think, and so it's not to single out any one player, um, and but or even the scheme. I think what we need to look at is, you know, again, conceptually look at our scheme and go, how can we get, you know, run stuffing, active bodies in defensive tackles that can, you know, that make plays when available, but they don't, try to make plays every down because there are defenses again you look at Ray Lewis with the Baltimore Ravens the uh, Saragusa and those big linemen up front you know their names because of how great Ray Lewis was making all the plays yeah and then Ray Lewis talks in the media and talks and you watch i mean you watch a, a broadcast and you just you look how clean he is and then they showcase a defensive lineman having 650 700 pounds leaning on him holding on to both of them. So Ray scrapes to the clean hole yeah. to make the tackle for no gain. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's the Buckeye football, especially in the spread offense, because you know, you're going to get four and five wide. I thought what Michigan also did just my, you know, my football brain and the way I watched the game, my did the football not follow the tight end most of the second half. So whether they motioned him from wide or in, or they motioned him across in like a U motion, it was just, it was kind of zone cutback. And, uh, it, our, our backers were just standing there, you know, waiting to be team blocked up onto yes. the second level. Yeah. And at no point were we able to just, you know, use our hat and hands, blast a guy, pop off, make a tackle, even for three yards. I mean, it was five yards plus uh, almost each and every time. And, and we know enough about football and I'm sure all of your, you know, your listeners, you know, and, and viewers know well enough that, I mean, second and five, second and four is an offense is on schedule, able to take shots down the field, able to do something exotic. And it basically, you have the defense eaten out of your hand because you can, you have to be ready for the full offensive playbook as opposed to being in second and eight, which is predominantly much more of a passing down. You can then bring in your, you know, passing defense. You can call some type of coverage. You can bring a blitz, you know, to get a sack. So you can put them in third and 12 plus. So, um, I, I, I know I'm kind of rambling, but I think more so than anything, it's we we've always had those defensive ends that are able to get home. We talked even earlier in the season. We don't have those guys. Now, have those guys come into their own a little bit? Absolutely. They have. Was it as good as we've always had it? Absolutely not. But I think more so than anything, and this is not an indictment against any one individual, but I think defensive tackles that occupy space and make the plays that need to be made as opposed to defensive tackles that are actively trying to win and make plays. And then everybody else, there's a domino effect. Everybody else has got to read off that as opposed to accounting for guys in their gap, doing their job, controlling the line of scrimmage and allowing, you know, playmaking safeties and linebackers to see a very clear picture to allow them to run and hit.
3: Yeah. You know, I, as I've explained it uh, to try to put it in layman's terms, Uh, I thought Penn state, I thought Nebraska and I thought Michigan did a great job of their defensive line blocking for their linebackers for want of another term. I mean, of, of in essence, and then also having a, an unfettered offensive lineman getting, get into the face of steel chambers a lot in that game. You know, what are you going to do when a 330 pound guy, you know, when you've got to shed him before you can get to where you want to go. And, uh, and, and really, that, that really was the heart of it all. I mean, because that's how they were able to sustain drives and then, like you said, set up things. It so, was.
2: And, and I think the one thing I always look at, uh, Tim, you know, and I think for you know, the novice fan, is I always look at the box score after a game to kind of tell me, okay, I've watched it, I understand the outcome, and then I go look at, and the box score will tell you, who played well and who didn't. Yeah. And the one thing that I look at when it comes to our backers specifically as a former linebacker is a, who made all the tackles on defense. Yeah. will tell you a lot about a football game. And then also how many of those are solo tackles or assisted tackles. So we might have a guy, you know, any linebacker and again, not just this game, but any game 12 tackles, but two of them are solo and 10 assists. Yeah. Okay. So that tells me, Okay. That, and that might be the way that our defense wins. I just don't know this. I'm not in those meeting rooms, right? But I'm left to assume based on, you know, my, you know, football acumen to go, you know, the guy ain't running around knowing where the football is ahead of, he's just doing a lot of reacting, you yeah. know, and running to the full, which is great. A player that's got 12 plus tackles, that's a, that's a that's a good game in many cases. But when I go back to, and I know the game has changed a lot, but you look at you know, the A.J. Hawks, the laryniduses of the world, you know, myself, the cats and Moyers. It's like we were by far and away, you know, nine solos, three assists. Yeah. You know, and it was our ability to identify what they were going to do, how they were going to attack us. We won our one on one battle and then got the guy with the ball to the ground behind it. Yeah. And I just didn't see a lot of that happening.
3: Well, I think Michigan had, what, eight or nine uh, uh, tackles for loss, including, I think, four sacks. Ohio State had either zero or one tackle for loss. You know, right. <laughs>
2: yeah. where's mean, the ball being? Yeah, where's the game being played?
3: On which yeah. side of the scrimmage? Especially when Michigan, you know, is running the ball. And and Matt, that that is the essence of offensive football. Is when you can line up and run the ball. The other team knows you're going to run the ball. They know pretty much where you're going. They did a lot. Most of their damage between the tackles. The other team knows you're running at them. And they can't stop you. That's why in that second half, you kept watching that game, waiting for an Ohio State player to make that – when a few times it got the third down, to make that third down play. And, in fact, it, in essence, didn't happen when they needed it. I mean, uh, Michigan scored, what, four touchdowns in the second half.
2: I mean – that's well when you go when you go down two, when you go down two scores and, and you know you learn this by watching an NBA game, how does an how does an NBA game within reach for a good team when they're down by 14 points? Yeah. That's you know, three stops and three buckets and it's a yeah. six point ball game. You know what I mean? That's the NBA. Yes. So when you watch football, you have and you're down two scores, two things gotta happen. You know, you're not all of a sudden just gonna go stop what Michigan was doing. Okay. So you've got to strategically, and that's, you know, the, the essence of, of, of coaching and, and being a play caller is identifying those situations in a game where you got, you have to, you're running out of time because you're not playing against the clock. You do have a high powered offense that, you know, can score quickly, but it has not come very easy in this football game. So you have to go, you know, what can I do to get them in an uncomfortable down and distance where it, you know, it is now, you know, the needle kind of tips after the way that the game's kind of gone into our favor, and that's that's a blitz. That's some type of trap coverage, you know, that kind of confuses the quarterback, and, and maybe he forces the football into a tight window where the ball gets tipped, the ball gets popped up in the air. You know, we've seen, you know, our defenses for, gosh, 25 years now make those plays, yeah. especially when they need them. And again, we're always left talking about it. When a defense, when the defense doesn't make those plays, we're left talking about you know situations like this where you know gosh the 10 times they've lost in the last five years you know the defense just didn't make that one play or get that one stop so I was just banking on the whole second half sitting there with my son watching the game going when are we going to get stopped you know or man you know man do we need a turnover because you turn the ball over you know you go score it's then Michigan. then you actually put the pressure back on Michigan at home Harbaugh 0 and five you know lost what eight of the last 10 or eight of how whatever the dang record is then you put the pressure back on them to go execute as an offense again because if we get one more stop we've seen it all year long how potent and and high powered our offense is i mean i just felt in in my gut i had a little bit of a feeling and i told you this yeah i had a feeling that our day was coming you know what i mean And, and truthfully Uh, I've sent a few texts out and there's a a little gift that all of us, you guys can repurpose if you want. It's a, it's a, it's a squirrel with its eyes closed and, you know, and kind of picking up a nut. And I think in some cases, that's what this is. It's a blind squirrel finding a nut, because this is not something that's going to happen each and every year. I think, uh, you know, that comment you mentioned, you know, by the safety Shaw, I think the, uh, the comments by coach day following the football game. uh, I love the fact that he didn't say embarrassed, you know, at least the coaching staff didn't, you know, I feel, I feel awful. You know, we feel like we let, he let down himself, his, you know, those seniors. or those Buckeyes playing their last game, the fan base, the university, because um, you know what coach Trestle going back to our, you know, what Wednesday or Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, you know, podcast was, is all about what coach Trestle started. Yeah. So um, you get very comfortable uh, beating Michigan every year, as much as we want them to be good and, and at the end of the season, put up a fight, which helps project us forward when we take care of business. We just didn't do it. And I think it would have been an indictment against our program again to, you know, eke out a Michigan victory and then go into the final four, thinking that we're, you know, it and get lambasted by a Bama, you know, or a Georgia yeah. or whoever is it, you know, we might actually have played. Yeah.
3: Hey, last thing. And I'll just get out of here. Yes, because, sir. Uh, I've always said the essence of defensive football anymore, even in the modern game, you got to have that A-gap stuffer, man. you got to have that A-gap dude who literally becomes the fulcrum of almost everything else you do. Alabama almost always has that guy. Georgia definitely has that guy this year. Ohio State had that guy last year, Tommy Togiai. Then in the most important game of the year, he was out with COVID against uh, Alabama in the national championship game, which changed everything. It just changed so much of the dynamic My State did not develop or or did not have that guy this year. And back to what we were talking about real quickly, uh, number one, you can talk about scheme, but number two, it
2: it does come down to personnel to a certain extent, right? It does. And I think that that's the the essence of the perfect storm that we're trying to create is. Yeah. uh, And I think we've seen the evolution of scheme from the way that we started. Some of the transitions that happened, you know, uh, with Coach Combs and Barnes and then who we saw the most. I mean, the players that were starting for this football team playing 70 percent plus of the snaps weren't the guys that we saw play a lot in the last couple of weeks of the season. So a lot has happened. And I think uh, the, the biggest onus on Coach Day, uh, regardless of whether a change, you know, in the staff happens, if at it, if it all or if, if, if he's comfortable with the guys they have. It's it's really just and it goes back to what I've said again. It's just who are we? What's our identity, you know, and then when you can peg that, you go recruit and or develop players that fit that identity and you don't stray from it. It is who you are. It's not just, oh, midseason, we just hit the eject button and we're going to be something else. We're going to be blitz happy now or we're going to be a run stopper or we're going to play great coverage and play soft and survive the run. It, it, it can't happen that way. And that's, you know, why you see teams sometimes, you know, drop multiple games in a row because they don't know who they are. And so I think identifying that with the time that we do have, uh, I think represent Buckeye nation very well in the January 1st bowl game, um, go out on an extremely high note and don't let what happened this past Saturday affect the next 60 days. And even furthermore, uh, I think for the, you know, the staff, Uh, to not let it affect them when they go hit the road to go find the players to fit that identity, especially on the defense side of the ball. I think offensively it's very clear who we are Uh, defensively it's we can say who we want to be, but actually going out and do it is a different thing. And so it's a, it's conceptually from the, from the coaches down to the players to the potential high school players that are going to want to come and be a part of it. Um, Having that, you know, and everybody be lock and step to fit to, f- again, find the square peg to fit in a square hole. Don't put the round peg just for now in the square hole and see if it kind of fits. Yeah, That's, that's the way that what happens Saturday happens.
3: Matt Wilhelm, I told you, I wouldn't keep you long. I appreciate all you right. coming on again, man. Uh, you know, your, your breath of fresh air, even though the air is cold, it's still that's a all breath right. of fresh air, man. Thanks for joining the The blind squirrel the t- found a nut. The blind right? squirrel found a nut i i like that you know uh like i've like i've said so far on this podcast yeah michigan won this year now they're three and 17 against ohio state uh since 20 since 2001 so you know there's two yeah, ways you know of what i'm really at looking it, right?
2: for i'm really looking forward to the day and we are damn close and we'll get there in the next 10 years is to is evening up the rivalry i believe now it's what 50. 57-58, 51-1, 57. and one yeah. for, or, for t- or 10 or something like that, right? Yeah. I don't care about the ties. It's winning and losing, right? So, about yes. six more victories, and Michigan will have nothing to say. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, you heard it from Matt Wilhelm first. Matt,
3: thanks for joining the Tim May Podcast again, my man. My pleasure, brother. Anytime. You know that. You know, Austin, one of the great things about Letterman Rowe is we do try to get former players' inputs on things because Letterman Rowe, you and I didn't letter at Ohio State. Did you letter at Wyoming in some sport
1: at all? Uh, I don't think that we got letters at the uh, branding iron to yeah. write about it, but you know, we definitely should have. It's a journalism as a contact sport. You know, what? You what's know, funny is I, I, when I moved up here from Texas, I went to Ohio state for a few years,
3: kind of like John Belushi, you know, at Faber, but uh, I got paid for being on the lantern staff, you know? And so I was, I had an NIL going even then, you know, it's funny. You could pay, you could pay your editors and stuff on the on the paper, but you couldn't pay the football players.
1: Uh, but I digress. Uh, oh, man, we really we really cashed in, yeah. in at the branding iron and the lantern. We sure did, man. It was a little bit of beer money. So <laughs> you know, boy, you're
3: so right. Uh boy, when all a lot of those bars have been torn down on high street now to make for a better high street. Hmm. I'm not I'm not sure it made for a better atmosphere on high street, but I digress. Right. Let's go. Speaking of blasts from the past, let's go back to my conversation I had with Marlon Kerner, who also kind of requested to be on because, you know, he was the guy head on after the Oregon game who basically laid out some things he'd like to see changed. didn't necessarily mean coaching staff, but some things needed to change in the Ohio State defense. He was very encouraged by what he saw in the next, uh, what was it, nine games, but then game 12 came on, you know, game 10 after the Oregon game, but the 12th game of the season came along and. Wow, you know, what do you say? So let's get to my conversation with Marlon Kerner, former Ohio State and NFL cornerback. And as promised, ladies and gentlemen, uh, return visit by Marlon Kerner, former Ohio State cornerback, former NFL cornerback. Marlon, uh, welcome back to the Tim May Podcast, man. Under, well, somber circumstances, you're even you're even having to flip your profile a little bit, I guess, this week because you lost a few bets on the game. Am I correct on that?
0: Yes, you are correct, and and I'm, thank you me, I'm lucky back. I found you. But go ahead, yeah. Thank you for having me back. Um, I had a little bet with somebody um, that I'm really good friends with, and he actually worked um, for Michigan uh, when Harbaugh got there. Uh, so we stayed in contact, and, and we put a little friendly wager on the, on the on the game, and it was more just a simple, "Hey, what do you want?" Like you know, I think I think he lost most of the bets. So he went to our Christmas party. I brought him a Ohio State sweater. It was too hot. So I had a backup of a house a tie. So he's there full full suit and everything, wearing the Buckeye tie jacket open, had to show everyone and everyone knows how much of a Michigan supporter he is. So we had a little friendly wager, all social media profiles um, get changed to the the winning team's logo. And wow. I was on the losing end. So everything, Twitter, uh, Facebook, uh Instagram, everything, every social media platform that I have and that I'm on now has Michigan football as the, the profile picture for the week. So come next Saturday, I can't wait to take all that stuff down. But, you know, I told him, I said, hey, I'll keep my word, um, win or lose. Uh, and unfortunately, after nine, nine wins in a row, we're, we're on the losing end in this series. Dude, you texted me in the middle of that game and, uh, uh,
3: you know, you and I have known each other for a long time, but we've got reacquainted here in the last couple of months. But what what was just sticking out to you most of all as you watched Ohio State's defense in that game? I mean, what – you know, we, we talked about the offense a little bit too, but what what just jumped out at you? I think you and I kind of touched on a little bit before we started here,
0: but was it hard to watch? It was very hard to watch, right? I, I think the one thing that jumped off from the, from the opening kick and the intensity and the, I guess the passion that Michigan played with was not up to the up to task. It was not equal on the Ohio State side. Like they were playing inspired. They played with more heart. They played with more intensity, they played with more passion. Like they really wanted to win that game. Yeah. And I, I think sometimes you kind of get lulled into this this space of we're superior. We've always had the better athletes. And up until yesterday, that was always the case. When you looked at paper, Ohio State clearly had the edge and all the skill positions. They had the edge on the D-line and the O-line. And so you kind of always thought like, yeah, you know what? They're going to play us tough, but we're Ohio State and we're going to come back and we're going to win this game. And and that's how it looked. Like it looked like – and I found myself doing the same thing. Like, okay, look, we know Michigan was going to play inspired. You You know Harbaugh took a pay cut. He had to get rid of coaches to really get ready to try to win this game, right? And so now the rivalry is really coming back into focus on their side, right? It was more of, you you would hear other coaches in the past, talk. it's just a game, you know, we we don't treat it like any other game. No, (laughs) it was a focus, it was a priority. And going into the game, I thought this could pose a very interesting challenge for Ohio State, only because I knew Michigan could run the ball and they could run the ball very well. And when you start looking at what we struggle with early on in the season, we struggled against teams that could really run the ball. And if they had a good effort and made a really strong concerted effort to try to run the ball, could we stop it when we had to? So we go a la Woody Hayes and and the Bo Beckler era. It's three yards in a cloud of dust. I mean, really, it was six yards in a cloud of dust. Askins average six yards a carry. I mean, they gave him the rock and it was something that was not, what Harbaugh has shown in the past, like he's, he's more of a, I'm a quarterback. We're going to throw the ball. He really got out of his tendencies and he really made an effort to run the ball. Like they ran the ball more than they threw the ball. And that's something that I would have never thought would have happened under a Harbaugh coach team that we've seen so far in the, in the previous fight. He's a quarterback, like, I want to throw the ball. And I think one of the years that was what got him in trouble um, is instead of just running the ball and running the clock out, he decides to pass it. We get an interception, return it and all the momentum was on our side. So I kept watching, like, are we going to come back? Are we going to make this? And it was just very concerning to watch that when we needed to get a run stop, we could not. Um, and I know we'll talk more about the stats in a bit, but I mean, if you look at it on paper, this game wasn't a runaway, um, but yet it really was a runaway. game. Yeah. Like, <laughs> we were not really in this game. We couldn't do anything to slow them down. Yeah.
3: Yeah. They they ran they ran away with it, is is best way of putting it. Because I mean what they averaged, what seven I'm looking at the stats right now, 7.2 yards per carry. That's crazy. 290 299 that's,
0: yards rushing or whatever that's, it was. Yeah, uh, I mean, you well, know, two yards for law, two large sack we had, or two yard tackle for loss. That was all we had. That that
3: that's but, you know and, and then of course they had what six or eight tackles for loss, including four sacks. Uh, but I wanted to ask you this, as you watched Ohio State's defense especially trying to stop the run, what jumped out at me was they did a great job of taking away the front four and then getting to the linebackers almost on a, uh, con- I mean on a consistent basis, but especially when they needed a yard or four.
0: Um, what just jumped out at you about just schematically the the way they went about their business? I think schematically, I mean, it was pretty interesting to watch how they attacked our defense. Right? I mean, man on man, I, yeah. I always like to look at football. And say this is a man whoop a man game, right? And yep. so when you look at football, we always talk about it starts in the trenches, right? Can you one protect your quarterback when you have to throw the ball? And then on the, on on the flip side, on the defensive side, can you affect their quarterback? And Michigan did that on both sides of the ball. Like it was a complete domination in the trenches. Really, when you talk talking about 241 carries for 297 yards. Yeah. 7.2 yard average. And it wasn't anything special. It wasn't like they were just schematically trying to say, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. No, they just, it was big brother whooping up on little brother, pretty much, so to speak, and just really just coming. They fired off the ball. They really covered up the front four when we had penetration somebody else came down the line and cleaned it up. Like it was just, they had scenes and lanes everywhere. To run. Their running backs could pick wherever they wanted to go. There were holes everywhere. And it was just a complete domination on their side. And, and, and when you start looking at it, I look at one stat that we also look at like third down. They only had eight third downs. Yeah. <laughs> like, when they got in third down, it was third and three, third and two. You know, I think they had a couple of third and tens. They punted twice. Like, so that showed me that they were really having some really good success on first and second down. Like, they were running the ball down our throat on first and second down and getting it to third and manageable, and now you have the whole playbook open to you. It's not a third and seven, a third and ten where you know they're going to throw the ball. They could run the ball, and because they were running the ball with such efficiency, you had the run game as an option, and they picked up plenty of third and threes, third and fives just by hand turning around and handing the ball to Haskins. I mean, it was – it was a complete domination and something that I hadn't seen happen to an Ohio State defense in a very, very long time. Well, at least since the Oregon game, right? I mean, I
3: I mean you and I talked after the Oregon game and uh, you know, there were a lot of things Ohio State needed to get fixed because they literally got out schemed in that game. I think with the running game. Yes. Uh, This was more of, you know, I was, I was outspoken all on radio TV uh, interviews and stuff like that last week that, uh, Leading up to the game, but I thought the two differences in this in in the game were going to be Ohio State's running game. Uh, I keep saying game, but that's what it is. Ohio State's rushing attack. I thought it was going to be is you know the best balance that uh, Michigan has faced this year had faced this year in terms of be a team physically being able to run the ball on them but also being able to throw. And I thought Ohio State's revamped uh, revitalized run defense was going to be a difference maker. And they were both exactly the opposite of that. (laughs) You know, and you can say, well, Ohio State didn't run the ball enough. Well, when you're behind, you're going to throw the ball. But number two, you know, the the telling moment in that game was when Ohio State came out in the second half, bound and determined to show they had the muscle and the fight to run the ball down Michigan's throat. Three straight runs, they punt. Michigan gets the ball and runs it down Ohio State's throat to another right. touchdown. And, you know, for all intents and purposes, man, the game wasn't over, but
0: it sure felt like it. It did. I mean, I, and I think that's when I sent you the text like, yeah, wow, the passion and everything on, on their sideline was lacking on Ohio State sideline. And I'm and I'm sitting here watching it, and you, you touched on something, right? You touched on the balance that Ohio State needed to have to really try to win this game. And up until that point, after the Oregon game, I thought they really got into a good rhythm. You, you change your offensive scheme uh, or you change your defensive scheme. Um, but what Ohio State was able to do was they played complementary football. We talk about that a lot. We throw that term out a lot in football. But what Ohio State did was their offense became so efficient. They scored so many points that teams couldn't try to come in and say, we're going to attack their run defense. We're, we're now behind 14 points, 17 points. So you kind of have to abandon the run Cause you got to get back into it really quickly or else with the way their offense was being efficient and scoring, you could be down 28 points. And that's what happened against Michigan state. Um, You know, the Penn state game was a little different because Penn state, we, we were kicked, we were moving the ball, but we couldn't score touchdowns. We were kicking field goals, but we were stopping their run. They could, they didn't really have a lot of success against us. Now you had a game where, Ohio State's offense couldn't really bail out the defense. You couldn't get Michigan to alter the scheme and the game plan that they came into the game with. And so now you had, somebody had to step up and make a play. And in order to do that, you're going to have to either get away from your identity. So you either got to go back to the blitz scheme that you're running and with the man-to-man that you played early against Oregon and say, okay, did we learn our run fits and our responsibilities because we're going to have to get some pressure and get more bodies than they can block? To stop the run, or is, are we going to have somebody beat their block? And we couldn't beat the block, and we really didn't do any run blitzes, so they just continued to run the ball and ran it down our throats.
3: Yeah, you know, like you, like you just pointed. Out, I wanted to ask you this though, having been part of games, you know, for a long time at the highest level, what what can you what can you change in the middle of a game defensively that can can flip the script? I mean, because like you just pointed out, it seemed like that game against Michigan. The other day was as much about attitude, you know, as it was about scheme. And but, you know, was was there something you would have changed as you watched it defensively that could have stemmed the tide there? Could you have said, you know, hey, uh, you know, uh, uh, Zach Harrison or uh, Haskell Garrett or Tyleek Williams or whomever just shoot the gap? You know what I mean? I mean, that's easier said than done. But right. I mean, just take a chance. I mean, do, do you ever do teams ever get that desperate, I guess, you know, to try to make
0: something happen? I think teams, some teams do get that desperate. I think really what you're telling is you're telling your D-line, you need to go whoop a man. Yeah. Go beat the man that's blocking you. Simple as that. Like I'm telling them on front four, they can't block you. This is a mindset, this is a mentality that you have to have. It doesn't matter where they are, what they're trying to do, you're better than them. And you have to show that you're better than them. Cause right now they're winning the war in the trenches and they're owning you. And then you have to kind of get out of your tendencies. We play, we like to play a lot of zone. That was our comfort level of coming back and saying, okay, you know what? We don't want to play man to man. We don't want to blitz as much because we don't want to put our corners and everyone on an Island. So because we're so young on that back end, so you try to protect the back end, you have to get away from that. And so what I probably would have done a little bit more blitzing on first and second down to try to have some, 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 negative plays to try to get some stops just to make it like third and seven, make it third and eight, because if you get them in third and eight, then you know more than likely they're going to throw the ball. Um, And so then now you can pin your ears back. You can try to let your front four go after it. When it's third and three, I can run the ball. I can pass the ball. Like I have to play, I have to be sound in the run game. I have to play my gap and be be, be gap sound because it's third and three. And they're probably going to run the ball and hand it off. And because they were in very short, third down positions like it was very easy the whole playbook was open to them. they could do whatever they wanted yeah Uh, and and it was just really just that first and second was really first and second down is really what where i would have tried to make a difference and try to get them behind the sticks um, and try to get them in a second and ten because you know on second and ten if you throw or you get them on a negative play on first down second down they're going to try to run they want to try to get five yards you you want third and five or less to really try to see what we can do and we never really changed or altered our defense. We never really brought enough pressure to really affect what they were trying to do, and Hassan's had a career day.
3: You know, uh, Marlon, Ohio State lost two games in the regular season this year. Both of them wound up being shootouts, meaning the other team got the advantage. I mean, Ohio State came back and took the lead against Michigan, but, you know, not for long. Uh, But both games ended up being shootouts, and ironically, it was Ohio State offense that couldn't keep up. You know, I mean, for whatever reason, I mean, yeah, it was snowing, but that didn't really seem that didn't seem to affect receivers running routes or CJ's trying to throwing the ball. Uh, What what Ohio State could not get done offensively was block their ends on a consistent basis. You know, and let's face it, Aiden Hutchinson had a game for the had a game for the ages. You know, with three sacks in that game ends up ends up setting a. Michigan's single season record, I think, with 13 or 14 sacks. Yes.
0: Uh, that was no
3: that was no fluke. I mean, he was beating his man, caused Ohio State to finally reshuffle the uh, offensive line for a while. Dewan Jones had a had a tough game at times. Uh, Nicholas Petit Freer uh, at times had a tough game uh, blocking blocking on the other side, but they they flipped the 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 line and stuff, and you're just kind of going, "Wow, Michigan's plan went according to Hoyle." I mean, as the old saying goes, their plan worked. They knew they weren't going to shut out Ohio State. They knew they weren't going to completely shut Ohio State down. But if they could just nick them here and there, they were in the game and had a chance to win it. And it's funny when you see a plan come together, isn't it? And especially against a team like you that you've got blood, sweat, and tears
0: uh, spent with, right? Right. Yeah, you're exactly right. I think when you look at it, Michigan was, we're going to run the ball, see if they can stop it. We know we have an advantage with our defensive ends. So if we can get them in third and long, we're going to pin our ears back and come after them. We're going to see if these tackles can hold up. They couldn't. I mean, yeah, we threw for 394 yards. Um, but I think more importantly, what their approach was, was we're not going to give it the big play because that's what did Michigan State in. Like when you look at the previous week at Michigan State, yeah. all of a sudden it's 21 nothing, And you're like, wait a minute, am I looking at this correctly? It's 28 to nothing at the end of, or 28-7 or something like that, at the end of the first quarter. Am I reading that right? Yeah. They got behind so fast. And now you have to try to find a different way to get back into the game because the run game is going to take too much time. Michigan said, you know what? We're going to run the ball. If they can't stop us, they're going to get a heavy dose of it. If they do stop us, then we're going to figure out what this looks like. But we're not going to give up the big play. And so we had to be patient. We had to try to nickel and dime and just be methodical down the field and you look at times we just that's not really what our offense, the offense is built on big plays and getting up on teams really fast because then our offense can really pin their ears back and get out get out the other teams. And for whatever reason, their scheme worked. I mean, you could say there was pass interference on certain plays. Yes, but they're the home team. So they're going to get those calls. Like if, there, if there's a question, if there's hand jockeying, as I like to say, a little hand fighting here and there. They're going to win that battle. They're not going to get the call on that. They're the home team, and they should get that call. We've gotten plenty of calls in this series being at home that you're like, hey, that's questionable. Yeah, if it's a questionable call, it goes in favor of the home team. Yeah. So at yeah. the end of the day, we we never found a way to kind of attack that two deep zone they were running um, with different route combinations uh, to really say we want some quick strikes to make them come out of it. We weren't really able to establish the run enough to say, you know what? You've got to bring one of those safeties down and get one-on-one matchup. So they were able really to take advantage and keep their game plan of two deep safety look. We'll bring our linebackers based off the tendency. Like you saw them shoot the gaps on some of the runs. I mean, it was a definitely different Michigan team. And then again, they played with more effort. They played more desire. They played more passion. Like they really wanted to win this game. And not saying that our guys didn't, um, because I'm not saying that at all, but you could tell, one team really wanted this game more than the other.
3: Yeah, that's hard to say, too, and not it? That's hard yeah. to say. Yeah. You know, it's funny because, like you said, I mean, I thought against uh, – I thought Penn State and Nebraska uh, and, to a certain extent, Oregon, but mainly Penn State and Nebraska did a great job of their defensive line blocking for their linebackers, you know. And I saw the same thing in crucial situations uh, by Michigan on uh, uh, on Saturday – their defensive line opening like that—that that Ross kid coming through that gap on that third and yeah. short of the of the opening series of the second half coming through—and that's that's just that just nails you, man. I mean, just it takes the steam out of your offense. You know, you, you can't put it any other way. Wow, they were going to come out and they were going to roll right down the field, and instead, three plays and out, and you know, and really almost knocked out. I Want to ask you this? What do players do now? I mean, what? It's a different era to a certain extent, but what happens after a loss to Michigan to players, to the impetus, especially with so much on the line. Now it's all taken away, you know, uh, uh, what, you know, the, the dream of a fifth straight big 10 championship, etc. Uh, probably the dream of playing in a college football playoff. Although college footballs, I really don't see the path for high state to get there now. Some people do, I don't see it, uh, at all. Uh, but, uh, what happens now to the team between now and the bowl
0: game and from your from your remembrances, uh, your experience? Going back from my time, I, I think football is a little different uh, from when we played um, a long, long, long time ago. But <laughs> I, I think getting in that situation, one, you, you, regroup, you regroup, right? You go back, you say, OK, let's go watch this film as painful as it's going to be. What did we do? well, what didn't we do well? Right. Cause you're still going to have a bowl game. You got to play in. So you can't come in and just have this kind of this hangover because you lost the game um, that would have put you in the big 10 championship. That would have, if you win that, then you're going on to the college football playoff and have a chance to play for the national championship. Okay. That's gone. Okay. So now you're like, all right, what do we do well? uh, And what do we do? What do we need to fix? Because this is a copycat league. So teams are going to look at and say, okay, whoever you play, whoever you face, in one of those New Year's Day bowl games, they're going to have a similar game plan of what Michigan just had, right? And so they're going to say, okay, we're going to do what they did. We're going to attack them with the run and we're going to see, play that cover two shell. Let's try to limit the big plays of their offense and see if we can slow this game down. So now you're going to look at it and say, okay, as a player, how can I get better? What did I do? And, and hopefully you look at it and see like the amount of intensity and the effort that they put forth, We need to get. we need to get that. We need to have that. And then when you start looking at it, hopefully you also, as the freshmen that are there and the sophomores that are there and the juniors that are there, they look at it and say, hey, I know I'm going to have a chance to play this team again next year. We're, we're going to play Michigan again next year. It's going to be at home. And I need to have a major chip on my shoulder. I need to, as Hutchinson came back and said, they were on their revenge tour, not saying that you got to be like, I'm a hope, but you hold on to this because nothing really matters. Like you've, you've been on a streak so long that you don't know what it's like to have a loss to Michigan in the last game of the season. And you don't want to have that feeling again. So now you just, okay, I don't want to have this feeling again. I don't like this. And so when you get in that game next year, it's going to be your, – your effort level has got to be ten times what it was this game. you got to give everything sell out because that's what those guys did over there. They sold out. They bought into what their scheme was going to be, and they made plays when they had to make plays the entire game. And we didn't. We didn't make enough plays.
3: Yeah, you know, I've got the game kind of replaying right in front of me here as we're talking, and, boy, they did a great job of getting out on steel chambers more than anybody, almost targeted him, got to get a man in his face, you know, on certain plays, and uh, did a great job, and it kind of, it reminded me, kind of screwed up, uh, jumbled up the scrape lanes, you know, for the backside linebacker and things, and just, wow, they just, this is the last thing I'm going to ask you. Uh, I know that's my calling card, and you know there will be maybe five other questions, but but this I promise, probably this will be the last one. Do you, do you change schematically at all from here? Do you change, you know, you were the one who was fairly adamant. You don't just throw coaches away early in a season. Like when we talked before, you know, and they did kind of get their act together defensively, you know, in my opinion, but boy, in the biggest, the game, you really had to have it. It was all the way back to, you know, the, the broken big toe, you know, I mean, you couldn't stop the running game. Uh, do you, uh, you know, you as an alum and stuff, what, what, what happens now with this uh, defensive staff and, and maybe defensive scheme?
0: I'm, I'm not sure. I don't know if you get rid of the scheme, I, if you like it. I think once they kind of figured out how to run it and play it, they played it very efficiently. I think every scheme has its weakness. And so I think as you look at it, you have to kind of figure out, all right, how did Michigan attack you? And then, that's up to Ryan Day to kind of decide, OK, do I feel like the staff that I have in place can also adapt their scheme and add some things to so it? I think what was missing the most was you didn't have the run blitzes that you needed to have in your scheme. Now, was that just because you made well, it, I mean, Let me interrupt like, you, though. They did run blitz a little bit for sure. You not know enough, I mean? though, but, but not uh, enough. Not, and it wasn't effective for the most part. Go ahead. Yeah, it yeah. Wasn't, wasn't. But do you have do you have the scheme up front? Um, with your linebackers and your and, and your defense coordinator, linebackers, D-line, safeties to kind of say we're going to bring it, get in the gaps, clog their run, and stop it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and if you feel like you do, then you keep your staff. If you feel like you don't, then you have to make a change because yeah. you're you're expected to win national championships and play for national championships at, at the Ohio State University. So anything short of that means you failed in your quest. Uh, and I know that's a lot of pressure to hold up and live up to. But that's why you go there. That's why you're at that program. That's why you're playing at one of the top one of the top schools in, in the Power Five conferences, right? So that's what the expectations are. So you don't shy away from that. It's called making the best decisions for your players and, and the program itself. And so only Ryan Day can answer that question. Yeah. Um, I would not be shocked to see a change um, coaching-wise and say we're going to bring somebody else in that's going to be more aggressive. I think you do have the players there. I just think the scheme really got out coached really. Um, And and so Michigan's offense and what they wanted to do was better than what we wanted to do schematically. Um, And so you either have to say, I'm going to change the schematic and get more aggressive and bring more pressure or bring somebody else who can do that, but also have the same ability to be able to go back into that zone because I thought they played the zone very well, um, especially in crunch situations, except for yesterday. Um, They, they did play well throughout the rest of the season. Um, It's just, when they needed a stop and had to come up with a stop, they could not do it. And that's been, that's something that you can't live with. If you're, if you're head coach.
4: Yeah.
3: Marlon Kerner, appreciate you joining me again, my man. Uh, cause I wanted some insight on guys who played who, who, have been part, you know, not just a college, you know, not, not just a college football, but NFL football, obviously Mike, you know, McDonald, the, uh, the new defensive coordinator at Michigan came from the Baltimore Ravens, you know, right. He changed some things up and, uh, you know, in, in Ohio State, even though, like I said, uh, you know, C.J. Strouds did have, still had a pretty good passing day uh, statistically. You, like you said, they took away the big ball. You know, they took it away. Yeah. And uh, except for that pass to the edge to Garrett Wilson, you know, that was a hell of a throw and a hell of a catch. That's what it took, though. You know, yeah. it was just <laughs> great plays on both ends of, uh, of the thrown ball. And, uh, you know, uh yeah, I always said last question, but I'm going to – Uh, uh, this is a follow up. Okay. That way it's not a true question. Is there anything you'd change offensively for Ohio state going into next year from a focus standpoint?
0: You know, I I like, well, I mean, you're going to find out what receiver is going to step up because you're, you're going to lose a couple of guys um, that put up some pretty great numbers um, throughout their career. So you're going to have to figure it out. Um, I would have loved to seen, some different ways to get to the edge um, with their running attack. Like, you know, you try to do some, some big boy power ball. I would like to see some stuff like design, like some misdirection to kind of counter and come back another way to kind of get Travion Henderson on the edge fast and getting there quickly to say, okay, who's going to make a play. Uh, But offensively, I I thought also I wanted to see them kind of maybe get the ball out of um, Stroud's hands a little faster, like some quick gain, just here's some slants. Here's this, um, you know, and, 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 Maybe they that was their plan and, and maybe just Michigan's linebackers dropped in the lanes and so he had to hold a little bit, but definitely just a be- a different way to attack. Like, you know, we we do a lot of spread and, and things, like we we throw the ball out, we get the trips out, throw the ball in the guy in the back and say, okay, make a man miss. But I, I have to you have to tip your hat to what Michigan did. Like, yeah. When we run those plays, we always make somebody miss. They tackled very well yesterday. Like I think that's one of the things that goes unnoticed in a game like this they didn't really miss too many tackles. Like, you know, there was one guy on the legs and guys coming. I mean, their pursuit to the ball, you have to say it was there. Like, they they played with a lot of passion. They were like, we're not going to let any big plays happen. And first guy wrap up. And that's the one thing we talk about um, on the NFL level. First guy there, you make contact, you wrap. Then you got to have your gang of pursuit guys coming. And you're just banging and punching and trying to get the ball out. And that's what they did. Like they took that same effort that we would do on, a, on an NFL level that you want to see at, at a, um, a, a major college level. Um, and they pursued well, they tackled well. And so because of that, it was long, methodical drives. Um, and so we didn't really have any chance to really make too many big plays. And then you had to make perfect throws. Um, like like the Stroud pass to Garrett Wilson down there. I mean, perfect throw over the top of a corner who's in perfect position yeah. and still almost got the ball out. Like he really almost got the ball out. If Garrett doesn't do this and switch it to his hand and tap that foot, like that's an incomplete ball. Like, you know, uh, so again, I mean, I don't, I don't know how much I would change on the offense. I mean, because they do score a lot of points. It's just, you have to have maybe a little bit of tight end chips, back chips to kind of help with that. Um, maybe a little better screen game. I think because when we run screens, um, we tipped our hands like they saw it, they read it. Well, because we don't run it that we don't run it, that many of them. So when you when you have your back trying to get trade on the screen, like they were on it, they had it covered. So CG had to throw the ball away. Yeah. So just some different except for one. Except for one, which was a hell of a
3: play, you know, and a hell yes. of a throw. But uh, yeah, you're right. I uh, uh <clears> one last <throat> one last thing. I know I said that, but this is it. Uh, how long did it take you after a loss to Michigan? To get your head back up, and well, and, and, and and what I'm where's I'm asking this is number two, you know, do, do you just keep replaying in your brain plays you could have made, plays the defense could have made, you know, that could have made the difference. I mean, does, is that human nature, or do you, did you learn at an early age? You know what, just like when you play cornerback, the. The last play doesn't matter, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, whether you got beat or not, you know, they're coming back after you again one way or the other. Right. I mean, so. Right. I don't know. How
0: long did it take to as a player to get your Dalber back up? Honestly, you know what? I mean, I think like those losses, those losses stick with you for a long time. Right. Like, yes, you can say, all right, that play is over and I'm going to let it go and I'm going I'm to forget about it because I'm I'm going to have a ball game to play. And yes, like I, you, you can put it aside, but you always come back to that. Man, we lost to them because there's a reminder in the locker room. There's a clock that counts down to the next time when you play them. So you don't forget that. And because of the success. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're hear in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment.
1: That is a harsh lesson in business.
2: Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal.
0: Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I, I think this loss, although I hated to see it, it's 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 going to create. A, a, a renewed sense of purpose in this rivalry for the players because you had one nine in a row and you, you kind of, sometimes you take things for granted. And I think this is going to be something that can serve as a reminder of like, don't take this series and this rivalry for granted, because on any given Saturday, whether you think you're the, I mean, everyone picked us to win this game and everyone picked us to win this game by blowout fashion. And then you come in here and you're on the receiving end of a blowout fashion of an old school, butt whooping, where they ran for almost 300 yards. Like they literally went three to one in rushing yards than what you had. <laughs> like, yeah. And if you add the sacks, it's almost four to one. Um, so when you start looking at things like that. Like we've got to come in and say, I'm not going to forget this. I'm going to remember that. Um, and Ryan Day's not going to forget that. He's going to remember that. And I guarantee you, you're going to have a little bit of every When you run your Michigan pr- things in your practice, this is for Michigan week, you're going to kind of remember, hey, remember what they did to us last year. So you're going to have something that sticks with you and goes with you for a long, long time. Like I still can go back and like, man, if I had made this play, if I had made that play, maybe the outcome would have been different, but I was fortunate enough to be uh, the ones to um, help coach Cooper get that first win. So, yeah. you know, I always think about that, like, man, like we, we kind of got that, but you know, same thing. Like when you look at the paper, we had so much talent and could never be focused enough. I mean, you know, 10, 10 penalties, like how many false six, what six false start penalties. Yeah. Um, Like you can't have that like mentally, you can't have those when you're on the road in a hostile environment. You can't give up that many yards and put yourself back. You know, you had a third and three to go back to third and eight. Yeah. You know, a second and five, um, a, a second and 10 goes to second and 15. That's a lot to overcome. The way they were getting after our quarterback and the way they were playing us, like now you're third and eight. Even if you get seven, you're third and eight. That's a long down to try to convert. So you have to be smart um, and and not get those penalties and then make sure that you remember this, this is going to sting and you're not going to forget this. This will be something that you, as a player, you take that all off season, you get in a weight room and you're like, yeah, they, they beat us. 42 to seven to, or 27. 27. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, they rushed for 297 yards. Okay. Yeah. That's not going to happen on my watch again. Like there's going to be a renewed passion and, and definitely something is going to happen for this game next year that I I can't wait to watch within those players.
3: Yeah.
0: Hey, Marlon
3: Kerner. Appreciate you joining my podcast again, man. Are you, You know, where you live up there near Buffalo, are are y'all digging out yet?
0: (laughs) No, you know, we got a little bit of snow, I think about an inch or so, nothing crazy. Um, they're, They're saying some snow later on today, so hopefully nothing too crazy, but We haven't really gotten anything yet, so fingers crossed because I'm probably in the wrong area (laughs) for a guy that doesn't like like a lot of snow.
3: I was going to say, you probably got the world's biggest snowblower, don't you? I mean, uh, that's what I would have if I lived there.
0: Oh, yeah, I got one that um, clears about 27 inches. uh, So, yeah, I I can get a lot of snow out, but still, it's just getting it out, getting out there. I don't want to see 27 inches of snow for a long time, so hopefully not until February. Marlon Kerner, thanks for joining the Tim podcast again, my man. I do appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And you know, we got to stop meeting like this. Like it seems like I come on after the house state losses. Let's come on after we have a national championship win. (laughs) Yeah,
3: you know what? You're right. I mean, I I just thought of that while you were talking a while ago. This guy probably thinks I only call him when there's when there's misery around. But uh, you know, uh, sometimes you know because fans won't answer. You understand that? You know that that line. You know, well in that one of the songs, we'll win the game or know the reason why. You know, (laughs) yeah, it's part of. (laughs) It's part of Ohio State tradition that you uh, dissect the corpse. And, uh, you know, And I think you did a really good job, man. I appreciate it, Marlon.
0: I appreciate you for having me. Thanks.
3: Yeah, it's pretty obvious, Austin. I almost called you awesome. It's pretty (laughs) obvious, Austin, that uh, even the former players are looking for some changes to be made. You know, and these guys played on teams that didn't beat Michigan every year, you know. Even Matt Wilhelm, you know, they, they, he was part and parcel to 2001 and 2002 victories, but he was also on there when they didn't beat Michigan. So they understand the sting of the game. But, uh, uh, we'll, we'll get into, save a little bit of this, but I want to ask you this. Do, do if you're Ryan Day, do you have to caution yourself about me being totally knee jerk after a game like this, after a regular season like this?
1: Yes and no. I mean, I think that, uh, it, it, it changes everything. For all I've said, they lost everything. Well, it changes the direction of that, you know, program and the way it's viewed right now. So you have to evaluate that. And if it had just been 11-0 and and you lost to a really good team and you came up short in that one time and you, everything else was really positive, sure. And I know that it's only one more loss, but the fact that this happened at the beginning of the year with Oregon and the end to Michigan will resonate. And I don't think that they can sit on that.
3: Yeah, you know, it's funny because uh, my next guest, Bill Bender, that's what I asked him, you know, uh among other things. We tried to keep it short, but just like conversations with you, you know what I mean? Sometimes you get going. But well, we kept it relatively short. But basically I asked him that question, how does it change things for Michigan from a from a, not just a Big Ten uh focus, but on a from a national scale? Are they uh have they reestablished, has Michigan reestablished itself on the national scene? And how does this change if at all Ohio States uh a standing on that national map welcome back to the Tim a podcast Bill Bender uh, I appreciate you you know that right I do how are you doing Tim I'm doing pretty well man you know uh, people think that uh, these kind of games affect the guys who cover the teams as much as it affects the fans and the uh, and the teams involved that that's not the case that's just truth and advertising but uh, you know it wasn't necessarily that Michigan won on Saturday. But the way it won, you know, it did. It followed its blueprint, just as it had been laid out. Just as Ryan Day and his staff knew Michigan was going to come after Ohio State, and Michigan got the job. Michigan got the job done anyway. And I guess what I'm, the reason I want you on here to, this week is explain number one, how could that happen? But number two, the impact of this win by Michigan, not just on the Big Ten, not just on the national race, but on the you know, whatever you want to call it, the uh, Genesee quoi of college football.
4: No, Ohio State fans aren't going to want to hear it, but it's good for the rivalry. The Michigan finally won one. I mean, it. they had a better game plan, and they stuck with it. They ran the football in the snow. Hassan Haskins was very physical. It was an instant replay of what Oregon did in a lot of ways, where they controlled David. They maybe ran inside a little more. They were creative with their play calling. Yep. And they did, they, you know – Here's where I thought Michigan has a chance, Tim, and it was early. It wasn't after it was after they scored on the first drive. It was when Ohio State drove back down, gets in the red, and ace and gets a sack. That's a win against Ohio State, holding them to a field goal. And then out of the second half, three and out, touchdown, that's when the momentum turned. And it's a big win for the Wolverines, no doubt. Yeah.
3: I mean, you know, as I've, as I've said all along, you know, and this, this is no secret, and it's not something I came up with, you got to make plays in games like this. You know, the game can be 10 to nine. It can be 42 to 40. You got to make plays, you know, and Aiden Hutchinson, man, and that defense made plays when it had to, like you said, to force a couple of field goals, which really were the difference in the game when you really look at it, uh, especially the one just before halftime. And, uh, you know, in that opening drive when Chris Olave had a ball in his hands and couldn't hang on to it in the corner of the end zone, they couldn't get a touchdown there just whenever you get behind the sticks, man, it's, it's tough, and even Ohio State came back and took the lead uh, at one point. Uh, the way Michigan came out in that second half, uh, stoned Ohio State on three state three straight runs when Ohio State was trying to assert itself, and then turned around and scored on three straight runs. <laughs> you know, uh, wow, you know that was an uppercut of a tremendous
4: magnitude. Agreed. Oh, for sure. You know, I mean, and they they did little things like that they hadn't done in the past. Flea flicker here, aggressive play calling with the lead. Um, you mentioned the, the the missed opportunities for Ohio State in the red zone. I, I really like I said though, I think that game shifted when it was out of halftime. you 14-13 game. Right. I'm talking with Nick Baumgartner from the athletic. I was like, this is that drive where Ohio State normally takes control, and then it's 34 to 17 or 41 to 20 or whatever. And Michigan stopped him on three plays. I yep. mean, and again, it's not. The end of the world, I think, for Ohio State, the the realization that, A, can happen. B, yeah, Jim Harbaugh and, and Aiden Hutchison talked a little smack afterward, and that's part of this rivalry, too. It's good for it, I think. And uh, um, they'll have to look at a, a their defensive coordinator situation as a result.
3: Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, when you get beat, when, when your two losses – or from a similar situation in, in a season against two of your better opponents. Uh, you get definitely got to go back and retrack and go, okay, you know, those are the games where you got to show up and win. I mean, you know, you've got to have the personnel. you got to have the scheme to win those games. Those are the ones that really make the difference, you know, not a blowout over Maryland or a blowout over Rutgers. You've got to be able to have, make the difference in, in those games. I want to get to this, though. What's the impact – Nationally, of a Michigan uh, finally winning this game again. I mean, does it open some eyes? You know, you know. On one way of looking at it, Michigan just beat Ohio State. The other way of looking at it, Michigan's beaten Ohio State three times in the, in the first twenty tries in the in the twenty uh, first century. You follow my drift there?
4: Oh, and they haven't won at Michigan or Ohio State since two thousand. So All I right. don't think, from a rivalry standpoint, it livens things up. It makes the next year interesting. It. Uh, As a writer, when you write the same column six years in a row, it's nice to write something else. I'll I'll be honest about that. Um, But Ohio State's still a dominant program, the dominant program in the Big Ten where everything flows. Now Michigan has to finish the job this week, you know, against an Iowa team that's very physical on both sides of the ball. I think if they get to the playoff, it'll be cool. And it'll uh, likely be against Cincinnati or uh, (laughs) – You know, I was kind of joking in the press box. Who had Caden McNamara versus Stetson Bennett as the quarterback matchup in the college football playoff championship game? And and I don't think any of us had that back in August.
1: Yeah,
3: what does it do for Michigan? I mean does does it does it put I mean Michigan's always going to be on the map. Does it put Michigan back on the map from a national situation? Or you know you're you're you cover the you cover the game from a national scope. Uh, was this an aberration, or do you think Michigan? truly has stepped back into the big arena.
4: Well, I still think they need to recruit at a higher level, but um, the the coaching staff changes they made worked. Yeah. Whether it was Mike McDonald that had a defense that gave up a lot of yards, but made the red zone stops. Um, yeah. Mike Hart, a guy that everybody in Columbus loves, loves to hate has done a nice job with their running backs. Hassan Haskins is going to play in the NFL. Blake Corman will play in the NFL. Um so I think it's a, a huge, significant step in the right direction. I think the the rivalry itself is better when the games are close and we see these. And, um, again, I mean, like I always bring up, though, does it really change the nature of what's going on? I mean, Michigan hasn't won in Ohio State since 2000, and I always, I always say that's when Drew Henson was quarterback. Yeah. So until they do that, I think they've got to win one in Columbus to really make that statement. But, but again, this was a big win for them, obviously.
3: Yeah, I still remember Drew Henson on that bootleg in Cortland Bullard because he ran right around Cortland. I think right. it was Cortland Bullard for a touchdown. I just remember that like it happened five minutes ago. Probably got both names wrong. <laughs> but, uh, you know, <laughs> it, it just – yeah, that was 2000 in Ohio Stadium, and it's, uh, it's really interesting. Hey, last two things. Uh, so, does Iowa have the wherewithal to beat Michigan? And the reason I'm asking that is, ladies and gentlemen, man, Ohio State destroyed Michigan State, which came back from 16 points down in the fourth quarter to beat Michigan uh, a few weeks earlier. Uh, You can't extrapolate necessarily from A to B to C, can you?
4: No, I mean, it'll be – Ohio State has learned how to handle the momentum from winning that game because they've won it so many years in a row that going to the Big Ten Championship – remember they got a good shot from Wisconsin the one year after? They got a good shot from –
3: Northwestern
4: last year, really? Yeah. Last year, but they didn't play Michigan. Yeah. And then – well, I'm going back to the first time they played Northwestern. That one was kind of – eh, you knew, you knew Ohio State was going to win. Yeah. Uh, but Michigan has had two really tight games with Iowa with Harbaugh and Fairness. They're those old school coaches. I think they're going to play it close to the vest early, and that, it could be a little bit closer than the 10 points. I still think Michigan will win the game as long as they trust McNamara do the same things they did get the running game. And they went up front. That was the, I mean, we can rule out all the things that we want. It really came down Saturday to Michigan, Michigan winning up front with his offensive line, which hasn't been done in a very long time. Yep. Yep. And, and one up front with his defensive line,
0: you know,
3: they Mm -hmm. kept their linebackers clean in a lot of key moments in that game. And it was really interesting to watch. Hey, uh, Michigan wins, Georgia wins, Cincinnati wins. I'm talking about this coming Saturday. Uh, Notre Dame doesn't play anybody, but you, yeah, I kind of set the table there. Uh, what's what's your final four? If the, if those if the if the uh, three un, if the three teams you know that seem to be favored, I'm trying to remember is Georgia favored over Alabama? I think it is, right?
4: Yeah, They're but favored anybody, by like six. Yeah, if the so. three favorites
3: win. What does the final four college football playoff ranking look
4: like? We'll get Georgia one, Michigan two, Cincinnati three, and then four is going to be a little bit messy. And I, I'm going to say it this way. Alabama's score will matter because there will be a debate with a two-loss Alabama team if they lose. Maybe let's say they lose by 17, they're out. But if they lose by three in an inst- or by two in a triple overtime game, yeah, it would be interesting. Notre Dame sitting there. Can Oklahoma State play themselves in? And they yep. might be able to. I think it would be Notre Dame at four. I really do. And I think Oklahoma State will be close, and they can justify that with a conference championship. But I think Notre Dame would end up four if Alabama loses by about seven to ten points.
3: Yeah, you know, you, last time you were on the show, we were talking about Notre Dame a little bit, and Notre Dame his not really, sneaked stinked up on anybody, they just kind of laid in the weeds, you know. After that loss to Cincinnati, Cincinnati turns out to be pretty damn good, you know. Uh, you know, we can get into the debate about power five versus the other five, but uh, group of five, but uh, it is interesting. This is a pretty, pretty good Notre Dame football team, right?
4: Yeah, I mean, and they've won every game by double digits, they took care of their business the last couple of weeks. They've run Jack Cones, really settled into the starting quarterback role, and they've run the football better. The line is meshed. And they also play pretty good defense. So, I think the Irish are – well, if you got that, then you get Georgia versus Notre Dame in one semi, Cincy and Michigan in the other. It's not bad. Or you yeah. could get Georgia and Oklahoma State and Cincy and Michigan. That's probably not what the networks want. They, they want Alabama to win, let's be honest. They want to they get Alabama, Georgia, Michigan, and then Cincinnati in the playoff. And that you've got Alabama versus Cincy – Michigan versus Georgia. That's what the networks want. I can't yeah. be quote. You can quote me on that. I don't care. They, yeah. that, that's definitely what they would want.
3: Yeah. I think it, you know, it probably, be where, where would they slide Alabama? They would, you know, Alabama to two or three. Uh, I mean, excuse me, Georgia. You, they're not going to slide them past three because you don't want Alabama, Georgia again in a semi. You know, you're exactly right. And uh, you want that maybe as a championship game like it was a few years ago. But uh, hey, last thing, what does, I asked you about what this does for Michigan. What does this loss, from your vantage point, from a national perspective, what does this loss in the game, as I as I keep calling it the hunger game, seems like Michigan was more hungry, uh, what does this loss do to Ohio State's um, reputation, or whatever you want to call it?
4: I mean, it's the same. They'll still be the Big Ten favorite next year. They'll still have all the right pieces and a schedule that opens with Notre Dame. I had mentioned we talked about the defense. That will need to be addressed. But – Ryan Day still – they still kind of controlled that game with their offense because you're always thinking, even in the third quarter, how many times can we stop Ohio State? And it's a limited number. So, I think Michigan just got the field goals, the stops they needed. Um, sometimes it's good to lose. And I know – I grew up in Ohio, I get it. But um, and people don't want to hear that, especially nope. in some places where I live. <laughs> but uh, – it's okay to lose sometimes because you need to reevaluate that. Like you said, when something happens twice, then it's on you to re uh, look at that, evaluate, change. And, um, you know, I think they can. So, again, big picture, not real worried about Ohio State or or the state of the program or any of those things. And, you know, it livens up a game that really needed it. And, um, you know, it's always Ohio State-Michigan. That was a lot of fun to cover Saturday. and uh, But it was not fun. A friend of ours, Dave Briggs, drove. I drove with him. Dave did a, so I'm going to give him a shout out. He did a fantastic job of driving us from Ann Arbor to Toledo in six inches of snow. Great driver, great dude.
3: Yeah. It's always great to have a friend from Toledo. That's why I always look at it. Bill Bender, yeah. <laughs> I like having a friend from Pickerington or Picktown, whatever you want to call it. You know, I just don't want to call you too late for lunch, man. I appreciate you coming on the, the Tim May podcast again,
4: my man. Hey, no problem. Thanks so much.
3: Yeah, I appreciate Bill Bender coming on the Tim May podcast again. He's an irregular uh, visitor to this podcast, just like it turns out Matt Wilhelm is, and uh, who knows? And uh, Marilyn Kerner may be irregular from now on. I hope he doesn't <laughs> take that in the wrong in the wrong vein. But semi-regular. Uh, yeah, you're the regular man. You're the uh, you're the co-pilot man. Uh, let's just get right down to it. Number one, how much has this changed Ohio State's status? Can it can it change overnight?
1: Well, I mean, here's the other part of what I mentioned earlier, that it, it, it's one game. And I got this corrected, and I think rightly, by you know, Tyvus Powell and Bobby Carpenter, Cardell Jones, and other people, like, the, the dominance in the rivalry is not over when you're still looking at a 20-year period. Um, a winning streak is over. I sort of phrased that incorrectly on Letterman Live on Monday at Roosters. You know, there's – what happened on Saturday – doesn't have to happen again next year just because Michigan did it once. Correct. And and as we sit here right now, I would bet that it won't. I think things will probably be very different in the horseshoe next November, you know. But Michigan gets to play for the Big Ten title this year. They could be in the college football playoff, and then they're going to get to enjoy, uh, and they, they clearly are already based on their comments, the fact that they've got a win in the rivalry and don't have to worry about the rest. But Ohio State is not going to suddenly be lacking in talent next year, if there are things that they uh, weren't able to correct on the fly about the scheme that needs to change defensively, well, now they have a full offseason. If they got complacent about – and I'm not sure that – and I'm not suggesting that this is 100% the case. I don't know if it is or isn't. But if they were complacent or just the fact that they were inexperienced with one starter who had ever played against Michigan um, because of what happened you know, with the game being canceled in 2020 – Whatever it is, it can be either one, it could be both. It depends on who you're talking about. Well, that won't be the case next year. Um, those starters will come back with a chip on their shoulder and understand that maybe that something that I, I teased Bermott about in the past, that I'd never seen this happen, uh, Michigan beating Ohio State. I hadn't seen it in person. Uh, and none of these guys that were playing in that game had been aware of what happened in the 90s. Well, now you know. Yeah, um, This game is different, you know, and it can happen, even if you have the more talented team. So all that stuff – Look, I don't, you don't have to make a drastic overhaul to this program. It's fine. Like Almost anywhere else in the country, and I know that people will hate this, that it's championship or bust mentality in college football playoff, they won 10 games. They're still going to go to the Rose Bowl. 95% of the teams in the country would gladly change positions with Ohio State. I know that that's not good enough in the Woody Hayes Athletic Center, that they expect more, and they want to win the East, and they want to win gold pants, and they want to go to Indy, and they want to play in the college football playoff. But sometimes it takes a setback to get you there. And I'm not just saying that as a cliche here, but Woody Hayes himself said it. Sometimes you need that cleansing ass-kicking to go to the next level. And Ryan Day like, did this against Clemson in 2019 yep. and was maniacally focused on getting – so that wouldn't happen again. Well, maybe this is the kind of thing that will – Uh, spur them to even greater heights. That's what you have to hope for or expect or want or whatever if you're Ohio State. And I don't, I wouldn't look at this roster and say that can't be done. They're going to lose some really talented wide receivers, um, some great veterans um, maybe on the offensive line, but everything is still right there for them to get this thing back to where they want
3: it. Yeah. Hey, by the way, uh, if Iowa wins over Michigan, does Ohio State still go to the Rose Bowl? They will not, because Iowa
1: will go to the Rose Bowl.
3: Correct. So. Uh, I want to make sure people understand, but you know, we're we're both looking at that game. Iowa, Michigan is kind of a given for Michigan, and yet, you know, you remember some of these Harbaugh, you know, Ferris battles. I mean, we'll call it Harbaugh Ferris battles because it's two. It's almost like Woody and Bo a little bit from their from their approaches, right? And. Uh, you kind of never know what's going to happen if the score is nine to nine going into the fourth quarter, right?
1: <laughs> hey, and I would very much uh, appreciate not having to go to the Rose Bowl. It is one of the most expensive ones to cover. Yes, um, it is not the greatest place to go visit at this very exact moment. In uh, as we still recover from the COVID era and Omicron, um, yeah. It, so there's there's not a lot. Uh, of appeal. Hey, that sunset is pretty. I, yeah. I don't like anything else about being at the Rose Bowl. Yeah,
3: it's kind of like sitting there all day for the Kentucky Derby, you know. <laughs> you get two hours of sunset and then you, whatever. I I am with you 100% on that. Uh, uh, hey, real quick though, you say Iowa beats, let's get this out of the way, Iowa beats, beats Michigan. Yeah. Does Ohio State get that Fiesta Bowl, do you think? I mean, but or they? do they go to one of the other, uh, you know, group of six uh, bowl games or whatever they call them now, uh, uh, you know, or will, will, would the committee look at, well, you know, Michigan beat Ohio State. I mean, well, what do you yep. think is going to happen there?
1: I think in that scenario that the Fiesta Bowl would uh, leap at the opportunity to have Michigan out there. And I know that that's yeah. – it's home away from home. But in this circumstance, I'd say maybe bring in a little variety to the Fiesta Bowl, let Michigan come out, see if their fan base would – would uh, embrace that opportunity, uh, which I think they would. I mean, it's it's been a long time coming for them to to not be in one of those lower-tier bowls, in which case I think Ohio State would wind up in the Peach Bowl, um, which would also be totally fine with me. I think that's what would happen. I think it's a Rose or Peach scenario, um, but we'll find out this week, I guess. Yeah,
3: I mean, that, that that makes total sense to me and everything I've been able to figure out. But uh, let's jump right into it here. Uh, um Jeff Halfley, when he came in 2019, uh, you know, major hire by Ryan Day. Wow. Changed a lot of things, you know. <laughs> and uh, and like you pointed out, you know, you and I have talked about this before. It always, it always helps when you got Chase Young sitting out there on the edge, you know. <laughs> and uh, Jeffrey Okuda, who came into his own that season after watching, like we watched some Ohio State cornerbacks earn their spurs this year. Jeffrey Okuda during his version, suddenly he was as good a cornerback as there was in the country. And uh, you know, uh, uh, Jordan, who am I thinking of at safety? Jordan Fuller. Yeah, Jordan Fuller. Can't think of. I kept thinking Jordan Hall. Man, there's been been too many guys, you know, at Ohio State with the same first names or last names. You follow my drift? But Michael uh, Jordan, Jordan Hall. Yeah, Jordan Fuller. But what a it to kind of build you know a defense around a guy that's not going to do anything stupid in the back a guy that can shut down the other team's number one wide receiver probably 8 times out of 10 and then Chase Young incomparable coming off the edge um does ohio state does ohio state at number 1 have the raw materials on hand for a new defensive coordinator to take advantage of that do you think coming in next year because i do believe Ryan Day has to make a change in terms of maybe a new way of looking at things, but also uh, let that guy kind of bring his scheme or the scheme he likes best to the fold, or they would at least agree on a scheme. But uh, what's just your take on the defense? Because it was always, like you said, is always sitting out there. Did it make the improvements we thought it did? Boy, it sure looked like it against Michigan State, you know, in the four versus seven game. But, oh, my goodness. When you get shoved around like a bulldozer, uh, that that's hard to that's hard to live with. It's hard to you know is as, uh, as uh, Bryson Shaw said, it was embarrassing. You know, he's one of the few guys that made a play on Saturday that really mattered. Uh, but do you think do you think Ryan Day goes that deep and uh, does that?
1: Yeah. So the first part of your question is wait a minute. If you can remember it, go ahead. Is there enough raw material? One hundred percent. I mean they weren't patching things together with like 10th or 15th rated recruiting classes. Ohio state has been consistently in the top five, sometimes top two. Uh, uh, the things are going quite well there. So if you're looking for the next future, a defensive end, you're going to have, maybe Zach Harrison will realize that he's not ready. I don't know. Um, it seemed like he was trending towards declaring for the NFL draft, but yeah. his impact wasn't quite maybe what he expected, but Either way, you have Jack Sawyer and JT Tuimolo out coming back. You're going to build with those guys on the edge. They're the best two defensive ends in the country in the last recruiting class. Um, at linebacker, I think they've really found something in Steel Chambers. That's not news to anybody who's been watching the Tim May podcast. Cody Simon is there, and then you'll have Mitchell Melton back, um, coming off of a knee injury. Right. Oh, so you have you have skill there, um, and and I guess Jarod Mitchell is planning to come back, uh, maybe can provide some of that help in the rushing attack. And Tommy Eichenberg played really, really well as the season went along um, and got more comfortable there. So linebacker, I think that should be a, a fine situation. And then Denzel Burke, um, Ronnie Hickman, assuming that he comes back as expected, Josh Proctor um, has you know indicated that he will be back from that yep. broken leg. Bryson Shaw, a name you mentioned, he played a lot better, had that big pick on Saturday. Uh, Denzel Burke is a star. Um, no other way to say that at cornerback got beat a couple times on Saturday. That happens. Uh, that was still just a true freshman year. You know, another Jordan Hancock jumping in the mix there, but you know, this team has talent is the point. I could keep going, but they're, they're very, very skilled. So yeah. Coordinator coming in one year and have an impact. Yeah. Jeff Halfley did it. Um, would he have sustained that success without all those guys? I don't know. Uh, think he probably would have. You and I both think he's a really bright guy, sharp guy, and he's in a – I think he may regret the challenge that he took on at Boston College because that's not the easiest job to win at, and some of the fans I saw on Saturday were already turning against him. But, um, you know, that that tells you how quickly it can happen when you inherit the kind of talent that Ohio State has.
3: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It's like like a guy like Cam Martinez, man. You know, you you saw him when they put him out there, you know, man-to-man, say, take this guy out of the game, for example – He did that early on and stuff, you know, but didn't kind of seem to get lost in the shuffle, you know, Lathan Ransom, I mean, played a lot. I mean, oh, my goodness, I still see him getting jerked to the ground on that, uh, was it first or second play uh, by Michigan in the second half. Wow. But, I mean, yeah, you know, (laughs) that's excuse making. But, oh, my goodness, you know. But let's don't go there because that would be another podcast.
1: Yes,
3: it Uh, would be. But, wow, you know. That's all I got to say, right?
1: Well, I think, let, let me say it this way, Tim. The officiating was terrible in that okay. game, okay. but it didn't cost Ohio State. The Correct. And, you know, what, who knows what would have happened if uh, – if, this was probably better for you to say – Remember not, that. Keep it short. Go ahead. You're listening to the broadcast feed, and I can't hear it, but people are telling me that, you know, they're saying, oh, my gosh, a missed opportunity when Michigan drops an interception – the missed opportunity was for Ohio State when Garrett Wilson is getting dragged to the ground yes. by an obvious pass interference. If they have first and goal from, you know, the eight or whatever it would have been down there, and punching punch in a touchdown. So if field goal. who knows, maybe that's the difference. But, like, th- those were the obvious ones that I just don't understand. Michigan yeah. played better. This is not a uh, post-Clemson Fiesta Bowl where the, that's the one time I've been, like, officiating costs Ohio State a game. Yes. I'm not saying that happened in this game. I'm not looking up the... Uh, uh, voting registration or the history of officials like another fan base may have on Friday night when they were concerned about the, the crew that was going to be working the game. Michigan won the game. Ohio State hurt itself with a lot of penalties, and the officials were terrible.
3: Yeah, it's funny because uh, they definitely, you know, the, the illegal procedure calls were all legit, you know, That's against different. Ohio State. But the, the plays you let go and the plays you don't let go, they do have a bearing on a game as a game builds momentum, as the snowball builds, you know. And uh, and oh my goodness, that ticky-tack, what even ticky-tack. I mean, the guy slipped down too. I mean, they called on Nicholas Petit Freer behind. C.J. Stroud ran the ball, you know. Boy, C.J. Stroud ran the ball against Oregon, and they got a ticky-tack call behind him uh, against uh Thayer Munford. I mean, you know, that's why you don't want C.J. Stroud to run the ball. There's going to be a a bogus holding penalty <laughs> behind him, you know. Well, it
1: only happens to Ohio State.
3: Exactly. No, but I mean, really, I think fans have a legit gripe in that regard. And those things do add up as a game goes on, especially yeah. a game of that magnitude. But Ohio State went ahead and scored a touchdown anyway on that uh, on the the one on Saturday against they cost, it did cost them a couple minutes and yes. Yes. Yeah. But anyway, back to where we're going. So area. so where do you go? I mean, do, do you go? Do you bring in do, do you, if you're the head coach, you know, and you know Ryan Day extremely well, probably as well as anybody in the media probably better, in my opinion. Uh, I know him a little bit, but uh, do you think Ryan Day has, has been bent on making some kind of substantial change on his defensive staff for a while now? And this, this just, just like the Oregon game caused him to put it in the garage and put another mechanic in charge, does this cause him to go to the dealer and get a new car?
1: Yeah, I, I think it will. And at this point, I don't know of definitive moves or candidates to throw out. And I'm not, yeah, uh, I'm not really ever going to do that. I could, I could make a list of people with ties to Ohio state or ties to Ryan day. And I could put that out and, and maybe that would, people would love that. I know they would read it, but I don't want to do that until I know who are our serious candidates um, for Ohio state. And And so at this point, I would say, I think that the the most likely move, I I expect that Larry Johnson is pretty close to retirement here, and they may have an opportunity early on just from that regard to start opening up the net and broadening the search to anyone that may uh, fit that Ryan Day may want to interview. There's going to be a long list of people that want this job uh, or any job that may come available at Ohio State. They can hire whoever they want. And I think that last year, I understand the reasoning uh, that went in into promoting Parker Fleming and not trying to get another defensive coordinator because he wanted to wait and see uh, what would happen with Kerry Combs with a normal year. Um, I don't think he regrets that decision. Uh, and it didn't turn out to work for him, obviously. But the, he has shown a willingness. When you take after week two and you change your play caller and you try and revamp your scheme on the fly, there's not, there's not any part of Ryan Day that is scared to make the tough decisions or to make a big swing for a coordinator if that's what he views as is necessary. And I think that he does at this point. Hey, uh, uh
3: like we talked about, about Stu Drow. I mean, you know, there are a lot of reasons why that uh, change could be made there. Uh, you know, most of which, I mean, could be his health. I mean, him just wanting to step back. I mean, you know, he's won national championship, you know, at LSU and stuff. He's uh. uh a coach of great, in my opinion, repute. Uh, but, uh, you know, if Kevin Wilson is still on this staff, you know, he was a nominee for the Frank Burroughs award, didn't make the final five or whatever it was they came out with this week, Uh, but, uh, uh, it's got to hurt his feelings that Josh Gaddis did. (laughs) You you get one, you get one year where things go well and boom, man, you're the hot tamale. Um, (laughs) but could, if Kevin Wilson still could Kevin Wilson be the offensive line coach? I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I've seen that work on staffs. I've saw it work at Ohio State with Jim Coletto, you know, back in those early Cooper staff. Yeah, that was a team that needed a lot of defense, but they, you know, they they really played really good offense uh his three years and got progressively better. But my point is, could you could you could you see
1: Ryan going that direction? Yeah, and I think, you know, if that's what um Shakes out at the end of the coaching carousel because I would honestly, Tim, be surprised if Kevin Wilson doesn't get a job, a head coaching job somewhere with as many that are available. And I've said this to you before, and like he wasn't guilty of anything at Indiana. They wouldn't fire him for cause. They, you know, he didn't lose a lawsuit or commit a crime or some things that other coaches have come back from more easily. If you don't appreciate what Kevin Wilson did at Indiana, ask Tom Allen how easy it is to sustain that after what happened there this season. Um, Weirdly, Tom Allen didn't have Kevin Wilson running the offense or recruiting players for that program anymore. Um, Now, that's neither here nor there. I just think that – That's more here than there. Go ahead. (laughs) Kevin Wilson would like another opportunity to do it. He won't just take any job that's available. I, he was uh, tied to Akron over the weekend. I don't believe, well, I, I know that that is not the caliber of job that uh, he wants, and they won't be able to pay what he makes at Ohio State. And he loves coaching at Ohio State. So, you know, who knows what's going to happen? But both he and Tony Alford, uh, if Colorado State wakes up and realizes the disaster that they've made for themselves with Steve Adazio, both of those guys could be hired away. Uh, in this off season and that might force a more significant overall overhaul of the staff than Ryan Day may even want at this point. So um, that's when I say, yeah. how major will it be? The next couple of weeks are just going to be really interesting for Ohio State and, and that, that could be decisions that they can control and some that, that Ryan Day cannot.
3: Yeah. And, and Ryan Day, he had a home run with Jeff Halfley, you know, when his first major hire, in my opinion, that was a home run. You know, you've got to be willing to swing for the fence. You know, Ohio State, with its ample uh, large yes, it's the, the you know, backing, et cetera, should be able to swing for the fence for anybody uh, from a financial standpoint. We'll see if, in fact, you know, uh, Gene Smith and company loosen the purse strings in that regard. Yeah. But it is amazing this, the change that Michigan made on its coaching staff from last year to this year. The, and the difference that made for that football team, that has to be agreed, right?
1: Yes. And, and it can happen. And, and Gene Smith has always been opposed to this arms race of college football. but right. You know, the money that's at stake now is so different than when he started as an athletic director. Uh, and that genie is not going back in the bottle. There weren't, you know, television deals that brought in $55 million for every school when all this started. So – I'm not suggesting that he's opposed to it now. He, he's going to pay a market rate, and Ohio State is going to remain competitive because they are committed to winning. Um, but you know, are we going to see willing to go pay two million to get whoever you want to be the defensive coordinator? Uh, Brian Hartline um, needs more money. I mean, he he had a second NFL contract. He doesn't need more money. Um, but if he's going to keep that role and uh, stay with Ohio State when other programs are going to start backing up Brinks trucks and offering them offensive coordinator deals. Like, you know, some, those things have to be evaluated. They have to be done. And that's when, when we talk about a top to bottom sort of comprehensive look in the mirror, like Michigan held it up and said, this is what you are right now. Yeah. Can't argue with it. It says 42, 27. And I know it's one game, but they lost. I've said it once on the show already. So twice, Michigan just took away everything from Ohio State. And if you get it back, to get it back, it's not going to be easy. And that's going to take commitment from everybody, from Gene Smith to to the 85th guy on the roster.
3: Yeah, you know, I used an analogy on radio on Monday morning in Columbus, and I didn't get to explain my analogy. But I said, watching that game was like watching an Amazon package being left on your porch. And you accuse the next door neighbor of coming in and stealing it. But when you looked at the address on it, it said to Ohio state or Michigan, you know, and Michigan went and grabbed it yeah, and took it. And it now belongs to them. It is now their property. Well, you know, if you use an analogy, you need to explain it like that. Then I probably should be, uh, you know, I like it criticized, but that's what it feels like. You know, this guy taken off my porch Wait a minute. what, you know, to, you got to go outside and get it, got to do put on more than your bathrobe, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, wow. Hey, didn't think we'd be talking about this this week. Uh, uh, Austin, I almost called you your first your original nickname and then your next nickname. But I, uh, I covered myself there because I want your mom to have a happy Christmas shopping season. Uh, especially when it comes to her granddaughter, but, uh, it is interesting to be sitting here, after four straight years of Ohio State going to the Big Ten championship game and winning it, still a ridiculous streak. Uh, To be sitting here after 17, uh, 19 years of – 19 games of Ohio State, winning 17 of them in the game, to be sitting here after Michigan finally won again and now acts like it invented the game again. Wow, you know, be careful. Uh, It is really interesting to be sitting here on a week when – when all you have to do is keep up with coaching uh, moves and uh, recruiting, right?
1: Yeah, it's it's a it's a shock to the system. So if that's the case for you and me, I can only imagine what it's like in the Woody, and that's why I know how seriously they will take that challenge. Because it, you know, for here, like it doesn't it doesn't change anything. Like we were, we admitted we're wrong, and we're going to cover the coaching searches and all that, and we're going to cover the Rose you know, Rose Bowl or whatever, and, and move on with our lives. It's, it's much more high stakes for them. Yes. And I, I never want to lose sight of that, how much uh, that hurts for them. The shock to us is that, I mean, I I've complained like, Hey, covering the big 10 title game is hard. It's not, it's a difficult weekend because the game is so long. And then you are in the locker room till one 30 or two, and you have to drive back uh, right away in the morning, no sleep. Um, to be in into the Woody for selection show on Sunday, and it's like man, that sucks. Like be yes. nice to get a break, and then it's like, well, be careful what you wish for because it's a hell of a lot more fun and cooler to be covering that stuff and grinding than uh, dealing with this. So that part, hey, it's going to be uncomfortable on Saturday, but the weather's nice, so I'm sure you and I might find something to do. Hey, one of the quickie, because uh, like I said, you know Ryan Day as well, if
3: not better than anybody who covers Ohio State. Uh, how? How will he take this? Well, this grinded him, you know, just just when you're looking for a chance to get some sleep, do you ever go to sleep after a game like that? You know, how, does it take you a week to figure out, you know, number one, you're making moves. Number two, you're making the right moves. Number three, oh, my goodness, that was embarrassing. Number four, do you get to go shop for Christmas gifts? or, or Are people going to give you a lot of crap, you know, if you get out of your car? I mean, all these kind of things. Of course, he probably shops from home. I don't blame him. Uh, yeah. But all these things, you know, that. Just when you're looking for a chance to exhale, this isn't the exhale you were seeking.
1: No. Uh, I guess the, the word that I uh, got back when asked about how it was going was awful. Um, tough day, awful, not fun. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to be respectful of everybody. When I talk about how much it hurts, I know that. I haven't been in Ryan Day's shoes. I never felt the pressure of that job. I can't even imagine what it's like the way that they put the effort and the time into it. But then, but then to even have an insult hurled
3: your way, you know, in the post game by 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 your the opposing coach you 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 don't like in the first place. I think it's pretty obvious there's no love lost in that relationship. But to have that insult hurled your way when we know how Ryan Day has moved across the country many times in his coaching career to build, you know, to get an opportunity that he has been enjoying now for three years as the head coach at Ohio state to have an insult hurled your way. What do you think? What do you think?
1: (laughs) I think that I, I mean, I honestly think that Jim Harbaugh will regret saying on Saturday because we've said this before and I don't, I think maybe most people have an appreciation for what we're saying, but um, you, you rarely get to see it. This guy, when it comes to slights, when it comes to losses, when it comes to being competitive, there's this perception that urban is so much more, urban Meyer was so much more serious and laser focused on it. I honestly believe that Ryan Day, when it comes to that part of the the shoulder chip, the uh, insults that you're talking about, when you lose, the The grudge that he holds, I really believe, is different than what Urban Meyer had. Um, That's not – I'm not saying one is more necessarily competitive than the other, but I don't think that Urban paid that much attention to what other coaches might say or if they lost one game that he hated Clemson forever. I mean, the 2019 game, the way that ended, everything Ryan Day did for the next year was designed solely – to beat Clemson and to beat Gabo Swinney and to make sure that he never got to say anything ever again. And then when he went over the top and ranked them 11th, I was like, okay, that game is over. Like there's no chance. Michigan has now done that. He already didn't like Jim Harbaugh. Yeah. He already understood the importance of the rivalry, but now he's done something that Ryan day will never ever forget for one second for the next 363 days. Yeah. And I, as I sit here right now, I don't think that bodes well for Michigan.
3: Yeah. You know, I agree. I think when you provoke a reaction from somebody, you're not getting, uh, you know, you're not getting trash talk. You're getting recipro- reciprocating action. Just like when, uh, when, uh, as you know, Jim Harbaugh said those things about Urban Meyer, you know, leaving turmoil in his wake or whatever, you know, at every place he's ever been. And I go, you think, I asked him at the Big Ten meetings, do you think that's, that's a good thing to poke the bear. And he goes, I don't get these animal analogies. He had just called his team an anaconda, you know, that anaconda and that anaconda, uh, you know, was DOA, you know, <laughs> but, uh, but you know what I mean? It's like, wow. You know, when you provoke somebody to say something bad back to you and now they're the bad guys. Wow. Just look out what you, just look out what you put in motion. I agree with you hundred yeah. percent. Hey, Austin, we have plenty of time to do our Christmas shopping, though. This year, man, think about that.
1: I will. I will. No, you spend- don't.
3: Actually, you know, because you, you're gonna be on the phone as soon as we hang up. Because you know, there's stuff that's moving even as we speak. Ryan Day does not sit pat. We already saw that earlier this year. Uh, you, you. One of the things about growing as a head coach is you have to be willing to just stand back. Everything has to be an objective exercise. You can't have best buddies. You know, yep. one way or the other, you can't have somebody on a staff that you like so much you can't part with them. You know, it's a it's a lonely existence at the top unless you make it, uh, like I said, a little home affair. And then when you do that, that's when you can really get bit. And uh, I don't see Ryan Day being bitten by this. I see him making a move. Agree, agreed. I do, ladies and gentlemen. Next week we'll see if any moves have been made. We'll we'll also parse out what's what. The bowl invitation, Ohio State ends up getting out of this weekend's action uh, where it falls, whether it's going to stay in a group of six games somewhere or who knows, you know, who knows what can happen. But until then, for Austin Ward, this is Tim May. We'll see you then.
0: Step into the world of power, loyalty and luck. I'm going to
3: make him an offer he can't refuse with family